Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumla. I'm excited to be here with you this morning as we wrap up our series, Winning the War in Your Mind. It has been an incredibly impactful series. I know that many of you have expressed that you're grateful that we have been talking about our minds, grateful that we've been learning that God's truth renews our minds and sets us free. We are learning to think differently, and that is good news. So let's review a little bit of where we've been before we move forward. So far, we have learned that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. We've learned that it's almost impossible to have a positive life when you have a negative mind. And we've learned that our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So if this is true, that our minds and our thoughts are powerful, which we have backed up with science and scripture throughout this series, then this is good news if we have positive minds. If we have minds that are filled with thoughts that are fixed on what is true. Not so great news if our minds are negative. We've also learned that our brains create neural pathways for our thoughts. When we think a thought, it's easier to think that thought again. And every single time we think the thought over and over and over, that pathway deepens till we get to a point where it's almost automatic. We're not even thinking about the thoughts that we have. And again, this is good news if our thoughts are centered on truth. But it's not great news if it's fixed on lies or circumstances, doubts, worries, and fears. A mind filled with these kinds of thoughts is a mind that is captive by anxiety. And today, this morning, our message is called Calm My Anxious Mind. And doesn't that sound refreshing? Wouldn't you love to have a mind that is ruled by peace and calm? Wouldn't you love to get up in the morning and feel filled with peace, like a great anticipation for what is going to come instead of feeling a sense of dread, a heaviness, or a fog that you just can't seem to lift? What if you awoke refreshed and ready for what was coming? Well, friend, this is what God has for you this morning. This is the reason that you are listening here this morning. God wants you to hear his word. He wants you to act on it. And he wants you to then receive the blessing of peace that is protection over your mind that comes as a result of obeying what you hear. So that's how we're going to break down the message this morning. We're going to hear what God has to say to us. Then we're going to learn how to act on it. And then we're going to receive God's blessings. We're going to receive in faith what he says is ours. All right, so we're going to start with here. But before I read this passage of scripture, which we're going to look at over and over again this morning, 
I want to encourage you with this because this passage of scripture is going to be very, very familiar to many of you watching this morning. And so what we're tempted to do when we're familiar with something and just to say, oh, I know that. And unintentionally, our brains kind of shut off and go, oh, I know that. I figured that out. And so then we start to wonder, but I'm going to call you back because this morning I want you to hear God's Word. So I'm going to challenge you to have fresh eyes as you listen to this passage of scripture. And actually, I'm going to actually pray that for us. I'm going to start. Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us fresh eyes this morning, that you would give us ears that hear, ears that actually listen minds that then take action upon what you have said. And then I ask God that you would open up the understanding of our hearts so that we would be able to receive what it is that you have for us. Your word promises that when you open your mouth and you send out your word, that it does not return to you void. That every time you speak and your word goes out, you promise that it will accomplish that which it set out. And so this is such a powerful part of scripture that says our hearts can be guarded and our minds can be guarded and protected by you. So I ask that you would give us a spirit that would receive in faith what it is you have for us this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter four, because we're going to be looking at a few passages um, or a few different verses, one whole passage of scripture. And so you can refer to it the whole time. And we're going to start in the verses are going to come up on the screen, too. But we're going to start in Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, which says this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience God's peace. This is the peace we're gonna be talking about this morning, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Well, the author of this passage, is the Apostle Paul. And we've been talking about the Apostle Paul throughout this whole series. And at this point in Paul's ministry, he was imprisoned in Rome, most likely awaiting execution. We now know that execution was his final fate, but Paul didn't know that at the time. But of all the things Paul could have written, my first guess wouldn't be, don't worry. Don't be anxious, is what another version says. And I would think, really, Paul? Don't worry about your fate, execution by Romans. I mean, we know uh, uh, from looking at history what the Romans were like, they were ruthless and brutal. Nero would literally take Christians and tar them and light them on fire to use them as human lamps for their parties. These are the Romans that Paul is facing as he's imprisoned. And so we say, don't worry, Paul. Like, don't worry that your career is essentially over because he's been chained to a Roman guard and he doesn't know what his fate is. And prior to this, he had been a very successful preacher and church planner. Like, your your career is pretty much over, Paul. Don't worry. Like, you're not going to be able to go out and, and, and start any more churches. And not only does he say, don't worry, don't be anxious. He says, be thankful. Thank God for all he has done. And we think, Paul? 
How can you be thankful? Like thankful that nothing's turned out the way that you hoped? Thankful that evil people hate you and want you dead? <clears throat> to which Paul says, yes, be thankful. And you wonder how? How, Paul? How can you not be worried? And how, not only not be worried, how can you be thankful in your present circumstances? Well, if we look at the rest of the surrounding verses around this passage, we have a clue as to why. And I want to teach you this this morning. When reading scripture, historical context, like knowing who the author is and what his um, situation was in which he wrote it is really important for grasping his meaning to looking in and saying, what did he really mean? But what's equally important with historical context is looking at the verses that come before, come before Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and what come after. So let's look immediately before. Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 5. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And I thought about that. Can you imagine if we just simply believed that? The Lord is coming soon. Can you imagine if we could take what it says in Revelation that one day that there will be a day when we will see God face to face, when our faith shall be a sight, that there will be a day when the hand of God will wipe all of our tears away. There won't be any more cancer. There won't be any more divorce. There won't be children who have, uh, prodigal children who have strayed away. We will live in absolute perfection in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So Paul says, the Lord is coming soon. And then he says, do not worry. Well, yeah, no wonder Paul says, do not worry, because he was thinking about the glorious, rich inheritance that he was about to meet his Savior face to face. It's so much easier to say, don't worry, when those are the thoughts you're having. And let's jump down to verses 10 through 13, what comes after Paul tells us not to worry. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. He's talking to the Philippians. He says, I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How can Paul not be anxious? How is Paul not worrying given his circumstances? It's because he's trained himself to be content in all situations, in all circumstances. He has come to rely on the strength that God has given him. He has throughout his years of following and serving God, seen his goodness, his faithfulness, and his provision God hadn't failed him yet. He hadn't failed him by putting him in prison. In fact, God had actually advanced his word through Paul's imprisonment. Do you remember last week when we talked about um, Philippians? We went to chapter one, it's verse 12 and 13. And he says, and I want you to know my dear brothers and sisters that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, 
most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. God was up to something good and Paul knew it. And Paul chose to focus on the good despite his personal circumstances. You see, he wasn't ignoring his circumstances or his fate. Paul wasn't a fool. He was a really intelligent guy. He was thanking God for them. Paul had trained his mind. He had fixed his mind. And in fact, when we're looking at, we're going to go back to chapter four. We're going to look at verses eight and nine. I know we skipped around a little bit, but it's really, really important when you read a passage of scripture, when we're focusing on uh, verses six through seven, where it says, do not be anxious about anything. If you want to know why Paul says that, we look before, we look after. This comes directly after um, six and seven. He Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. I wanna show you a picture of a cute little girl. Her name is Grace. This is my cousin's granddaughter. And this was December 3rd um, of 2022, so just about a month and a half ago. And then I wanna show you another picture of her whole family. So this is my cousin's son, Jacob, and his wife, Erica, and their family. This is Drew, this is Ava, and this is little Gracie right here. And this is the last um, family photo that they had, and her mom, uh, posted a Facebook post that goes along with this picture and I want to read it to you. It says, this is the last family photo of us before our lives changed forever. And I wish we could go back to this day. On December 16th, Grace told us that she was seeing double. And after a trip to the eye doctor, we were told to get a CT scan. While waiting at our pediatrician's office for a referral, it became clear that we needed to see a doctor soon. We walked into Galasano's Children's Hospital on December 23rd, and after a series of events, we were told that Grace had what they suspected to be a cancerous tumor behind her left ear. They did a biopsy on December 24th, and on Christmas morning, Jake, the dad, Grace, and I met with an oncologist in our hospital room. Final pathology would eventually come back to confirm that she had, in fact, had a can had cancerous tumor. I don't think I have to tell you how devastating every aspect of this was. We were sent home and did our best to salvage Christmas, but it was forever changed. A week later, she had a PET scan that confirmed the tumor had not spread anywhere else in her body. Praise Jesus. We had a meeting to discuss her treatment plan and have now done two chemo treatments. I've been hesitant to share this on Facebook as I felt it was too raw and too personal. We've been grieving in ways I can't describe, but today, I was reminded of how many people are praying for her healing and how powerful prayer is. And I am begging each person that reads this to beg God for mercy and healing and grace's precious life. I know that we serve a God who can move mountains and heal my baby girl's body.
I am reminded how none of us are exempt from suffering in this fallen world that we live in and that there comes a time in our life when Jesus asks us to step out of the safety of the boat into raging waters. I believe there will be good to come out of this horrible situation. I believe the truths in God's word. That was hard to read, let alone believe. I mean, you think, how in the world? This is the words of this mama's heart about her baby girl. And how, you ask? It's because Erica, like Paul, has heard the words of God and she's believed them. She's heard Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God and the peace that passeth all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. She has heard 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. She has heard Psalm 56, 8 that says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. She knows about Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. It says, yet I dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It says, don't worry about anything. Imprisonment, cancer, losing my job, my car breaking down, my bank account being empty. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And then this peace that we can't even wrap our minds around, it guards our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that was guarding Paul's mind when he was in prison. This is why he's not worrying about his fate. This is the peace that is guarding Erica's mind, not allowing the circumstances she's in to consume her with worry and fear and what ifs. But if Paul and my cousin Erica were here this morning, they would tell you that hearing isn't enough. We can't just simply hear the word of God. We must put it into practice. You see, hearing alone will not result in this kind of peace. It will not result in the peace that guards your heart and your mind. Paul tells us that we have a responsibility. If we look back through those verses, if we look back at Philippians 4, 4 through 5, there are all of these action words, the verbs. Remember back from like, you know, first, second grade, we learned like nouns and verbs. Verbs are those action words. It's part, it's doing. We have to do. Paul says, always be full of the Lord. He says, rejoice. He says, remember. And then if we look into Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he says, don't worry. He says, thank him, right? Looking down more to verses eight and nine, he says, fix your thoughts, fix them. He said, think about these things. He said, put into practice. He says, pray, tell, thank, be full of joy, rejoice, remember, fix your thoughts, think about these things, put them into practice. It is simply not enough to just hear.
We must act. All right, so we're gonna hear and we're gonna act. Um, one of the most difficult seasons um, that my husband and I have walked through is um, dealing with a child who has severe anxiety um, to the point where, and I, I haven't shared this um, before, but she had bruises all over her legs that she had put there herself. And I remember looking at my husband and we were out of our league. We were out of tools. We were out of answers. We were battle weary. And so we went to a counselor and I remember sitting in the room with her the first time we met with her and she had already met with our daughter first and then she was sitting down with us and she looked my husband and I straight in the face and she said, I can't fix her. She's not broken. You need to change. And she said it kindly and in love, but she had a point to get across. And as much as I'll never forget her words, I'll never forget my husband's response because usually it's something you think in your head, but you don't say out loud. But out loud to the counselor, he looked at her and he said, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. You see, we were battle weary. We wanted to hand our child over to a professional and just have her simply fix the problem. If we're honest though, we treat our battles the same way. We just want our problems to go away. We just want somebody to fix it. And then we say, we'll change our attitude. We'll change our perspective. We'll change our behavior. We'll change our thoughts. But the problem with this is it just simply doesn't work that way. And I know you might not wanna hear this, but you and you alone are responsible for what you choose to think about. You are not a slave to your mind. You do not have to be ruled by your thoughts. If you have submitted your life to Jesus, you have divine power to demolish strongholds. You have the power to take your thoughts captive. You have the power to tell your brain enough. I am done being bullied by negative, toxic, false thoughts. We have the ability to capture those rebellious, false arguments and knock down those strongholds. Remember the verse? This is Paul again, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It says, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle. That includes thoughts that we say to ourselves, things that we think. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And we capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. But here's the truth. This won't happen just because you read these verses. They sound good. They're great. But it won't happen by you just showing up to church on Sunday morning or tuning in to watch Grumlaw online and just listening to the message. You will never be victorious if you do not practice what you have heard. It will not happen unless you act on the word of God. And it comes with training. We must train ourselves in righteousness. That just means we must train ourselves in right living. We must train ourselves in right thinking. So I want you to listen to the words of Paul once more, 
This is in a letter who he wrote to his protege, Timothy. And in it, he says this. I'm going to start at verse 10, but the screen is going to pick up at verse 14. So Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord has rescued me from all of it. You can even see in this book how Paul has trained his mind to see God's goodness despite his circumstances. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But then he says in verse 14, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who have taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Timothy, Paul says, put into practice what you have heard and been taught. It is powerful. Be trained by it. It will teach you how to live. And I want to ask you this. How foolish would it be to join the military and on day one go into war? Would you ever show up to a marathon with at, at least running a mile or two? Who would show up to the Olympics, walk up to the starting blocks of the, at the swimming pool, ready to swim the 400 meter IM, one of the hardest events? No one. Yet we show up to battles unprepared in our minds all the time. We skip our quiet time with God because we're too busy. We don't sign up for connect groups because we don't like people. We don't make going to church on Sunday a priority. We go when we have time or when we didn't stay up too late the night before. But just as you would never show up to a physical event unprepared, we shouldn't leave the attacks of our mind to chance. I wanna teach you a little bit of science uh, about your brain. Behind your prefrontal cortex is this little um, almond-shaped part of your brain that's called your amygdala. It's the part of your brain that's given to you to protect you. It's the part that enables you to go into fight or flight mode when you are in danger. If someone were to cut you off in traffic, your amygdala fires and your body goes into this high alert and you slam on the brakes. It's a good thing, right? You don't want to get into a car accident. If you hear a loud crash in the middle of the night, your amygdala goes off and says, danger, get up, go see if someone's breaking into your house. The problem with your amygdala though is that it's not objective. It doesn't think logically. It simply responds to stimulus. There's no rational part of an amygdala. An amygdala. Uh, my daughter actually, my daughter's counselor called it her inner two-year-old. And so she kind of described it like this. She said, this is your prefrontal cortex. This is the logical part of your brain. And underneath it is your little inner 
two-year-old. And when you are not thinking right, temper tantrum, think two-year-olds, the prefrontal cortex has blown and your inner two-year-old has taken over. It's an easy way to remember that. All right, but let me tell you this about how and why your amygdala is not rational. Let's say you were bit by a dog as a child. That's scary, right? It should cause you to be a little skittish around dogs you don't know. However, many people who have had a bad experience with dogs had this huge overreaction to all dogs even 20 years later, right? Many people they see a dog who have been bitten, had these bad prior experience, see it, their amygdala goes off, and it says, danger, 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 even if maybe they're not in danger. And they can't really help it, not at first, because that's just an immediate response. Adrenaline surges into their bodies when they see dogs and their heart starts to race you know, really fast and they start to breathe you know, heavily and they maybe even start to sweat. However, your prior bad experience with a dog does not mean that all dogs are mean or that all dogs will bite you. And this is where the training of your prefrontal cortex is necessary. This is where it's important to train your thoughts. The prefrontal cortex, you need this part to calm your two-year-old down. Essentially, you need this prefrontal cortex to tell your amygdala the truth. You can tell yourself, that dog that's coming at me, I've seen it a hundred times on my walk before. It's never even lunged at me, let alone tried to bite me, and it only weighs five pounds. So I'm pretty sure I'm safe. And if you were to tell yourself that every single time that you saw that same dog walking at you, eventually, over time, your amygdala would calm down and you would no longer have that same kind of response. It would react less and less. But the opposite is true as well. We can choose to be a victim to our amygdalas. We can continue to think. Let's go back to that dog scenario. Every time you see that dog, you could think, well, there's a chance the dog could get off the leash today. I mean, you never know. You can't be too careful. I mean, I don't want to be irresponsible. I have to think of all the possibilities. You can continue to think that way and deepen those neural grooves along that pathway, and then you could be a slave to the fear of dogs for the rest of your life. And I know this might be a little bit of a silly example. Unless you're actually afraid of dogs, then you're probably thinking, no, it's not silly. But what about the other thoughts that we have? What about those thoughts that cause us to be filled with anxiety and fear and worry? What if my kid gets into a car accident? What if I don't get into that college? What if my boyfriend or my girlfriend breaks up with me? Those thoughts that actually make you physically sick. What about those thoughts that trigger your amygdala that tell you that you are in danger? The thoughts that make you doubt God's truth. Are those silly examples? Throughout this series, we've been challenged to identify the lies that we've been believing and replace them with truth. We were told we're to think it, write it, confess it till we believe it, right? Think it, what is that lie? Write it down and then write down the corresponding truth of God's word that combats that lie and then confess it until you believe it. You say scripture out loud as often as you need to until you believe it. And I ask you, think it, write it, confess it. Think it, write it, confess it. We've talked about it over and over and over in this series. Have you done it? If you haven't, 
you're showing up to an Olympic swim event in a snowsuit. I know, not what you wanted to hear. But I say this in love. But how are you ever going to experience victory in any area of your life if you're not willing to get off the bench? You have to train. You have to act on God's word. How much longer will you show up? Will you tune into Grandma Online and just listen to what has been presented, but that just turn off the TV and do nothing with it? We must hear, we must act, we must receive. We're going to go back to our focus verse. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're talking about receiving, right? We have the action part. We choose not to worry despite our circumstances. We just say we are not going to worry. We essentially kind of tell our amygdala to shut up. Like we're going to take every thought captive. We're going to go to God. And instead of being worried, as soon as I think, okay, it's snowing outside. My teenager is driving in the car and I want to freak out that amygdala wants to me to say danger, danger, danger. I say, no, my child is loved by God and I can ask for his angels to surround his car and protect him. And then I experience peace. That's the receiving part. I tell God what I need and then I receive. I receive God's peace. And what does God's peace do? It guards our hearts and our minds. Guard like bodyguard around a celebrity. Guard like a bouncer at a club telling an underage kid with a fake ID, you ain't coming in. Except this is not a bodyguard. It's the God who created the world. The one who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you. It's that God. It's that kind of guard. It's that kind of protection. Okay, I want to end with this. We're going to practice hear, act, receive. We're going to practice this together before I let you go because we cannot act on something if we don't know how to do it. So I'm going to teach you how to do it. So here, we have heard this verse. We're going back to Philippians 4, 6, 7. You're like, Melissa, I have heard this verse. I'm time for a new one. Nope, not time for a new one. All right, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds in, as we live in Christ Jesus. So the here part, we read it, okay? We read it. We just read it out loud. We ask questions. Who wrote it? When did he write it? Under what circumstances did he write it? Who was he writing it to? If you have a study Bible, those are really easy answers to find because before you even go into the book of Philippians, there will be some commentary there. We'll tell you who the author is. It will tell you what he was going through in his life. It will tell you the audience in which he wrote it to. And then we read it. We say it out loud. We play it um, on our version app. We hear it. 
Then after we hear it, we act. What is it asking me to do? It's asking me not to worry, but instead pray about everything. So you know what I do when I'm reading my Bible and I, I, I get to this verse? I stop and I do exactly what it says. So if it says, don't worry, I'm like, ooh, I'm, I'm worried about some things. It says, instead, pray. Well, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, God, I am worried about my child. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my marriage. I'm worried about my health. I just stop right there and I do it. I've been reading in the book of Deuteronomy about the Israelites and how rebellious and stubborn they were. And it'd be easy for me to just read it and say, well, you know, that was them. No, when I read that, I think, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so stubborn and rebellious in my heart, just like the Israelites. Will you forgive me? As I am reading and hearing, I'm actually acting. So you read this and you stop right now and you pray and you ask for God. You ask him for what you need and then you thank him. God, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you that I'm standing in a, in a warm building with heat around friends who love me. Thank you, God, for everything you have given to me. I mean, there's a long list of things that we could thank God for, even in suffering. And I give my worries and my cares to him. This is the action part two. I give my worries and my cares to God because he cares for me. I think it. I write it. I confess it until I believe it. And then I receive. I believe the truth presented. I believe it. I say, God, I've prayed about it. God, I thank you. I've thanked you. And now I receive your peace. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what my emotions are. I receive it in faith. I confess it till I believe it. I think it. I write it. I confess it till I believe it. Every time I begin to be worried about the same thing or I want to have that same thought go down that neural pathway, say, no way. I'm taking my thoughts captive unto Jesus Christ. And I am going to say, I'm a child of God. His peace guards my heart and my mind. I receive it. I'm a child of God. His peace preserves and protects my mind. I say it, I confess it over and over and over until I believe it. And you wanna know a cool science fact that we're gonna end on this? It's actually been proven that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. And one of my favorite authors, her name is Dr. Carolyn Leaf, she says this, that's science catching up to the Bible. Because the Bible already told us that when I thank God and when I pray about everything that I need and I don't worry that his peace, I receive his peace and it guards my heart and my mind. It actually changes my brain. Science catching up to the Bible. Imagine that. So we hear it, we act on it, and we receive it.